Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, welcome. Life Let's chat. It's hard. You want to talk? I know. That's disappointing. Sit back. Let's work this How's out. How's it going? What are we doing here? Where are you going? Hey everybody, sorry this is late. I thought I was going to die last week until you went to New York. So please forgive us. It's coming to you late. I We have to say congrats to 300 episodes. Congrats to wit. Congrats. Three, 300 episodes. I thought maybe we could take a moment to talk about how you and I met wit. That's fun. No, let's 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 tell that story. We were probably thirty two, or I was. Yeah, I was in my late twenties, I think. And we were out on the porch smoking cigs like we used to. But we were at this party where we didn't know anybody, right? Yeah. We didn't know a lot of people, you know. So we were trying to figure out nice ways to like break the ice. That was that party. Yeah. The cilantro and the teeth gag. Yeah. What was nice about that was that Ellie put a giant piece of cilantro in the middle of her teeth in the front. We met people that way. It's kind of dumb now. We're little pranksters. Original and practical jokers. <laughs> I know. Before Wit started this podcast, he and Nate and I start, tried to start a podcast called People Know Everything. And it was not a same idea at all. It would be... We'd take like a big topic, like our first and only episode was, does God exist? And we would each do like an Amer- this American life, like we don't all have our segment to to come back and say whether, what, what our findings were. We only ever did that one episode. It was just wicked hard. Like I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. But from that, it inspired what, I mean, this is what he said. He thinks, pe- he, he credit, he says people know everything is what got his mind going about starting a podcast. Because it was still a new genre or a new medium then. And what just started, this is actually happening. And it was just like this quiet little show that he just really went after for years and years and years. And just toiled away and never gave up. And, you know, it wasn't until season 9 or 10 
when the show finally gained, gained some real notoriety and sort of changed his life and made him um, and allowed him to make it his full-time job. And he brought me on, I think in 2020, like kind of right before COVID hit in March. Um, but he's just a wonderful person, a wonderful friend. He's a joy. He really cares for people. He really, really tries to live what he believes. And I just, I feel really grateful to know him and, and work with him and get to work on the show and get to do this show with UT now. I mean, who would have ever guessed this when we all met low those 15 years ago or whenever it was? Yeah. Congrats to it. We love you. Welcome to Trauma Bonded. I'm Ellie Westberg here with Therese Garcia. Hello. And today we're discussing, this is actually happening, special episode 300. 300. 300. It's a lot. It's a lot. What if your boyfriend lit himself on fire? Uh, Amanda has heavy past generational trauma, which trickles down to her own immediate family. She experiences myriad family systems, which leave her with insecure attachment. After landing in San Francisco, Amanda meets Bryce, both in their 20s. Of course, they connect as both are deep thinkers and adventurers, but she comes to find out he's mentally unwell and can be reckless and gaslighty. She feels anxious and lonely and decides to leave him. His mental state continues to decline, leading to his suicide by self-immolation. Amanda has become seasoned in meditation and recovery and leads a spiritual life and commits her life to serving others, especially as they enter death. Full disclosure, I'm the showrunner for This Is Actually Happening. I have the privilege to vet stories and conduct pre-interviews before they go to wit for the final interview, and T knows nothing about anything. She comes in fresh. And this show, Trauma Bonded, is for the listeners, a space where we can talk about each episode, digest it, and reflect on it with empathy and also a bit of levity. That's Trauma Bonded. So, T, did you listen to episode one and episode 300 sort of like yeah. next to each other? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the evolution of the show. And it's amazing to me listening to them in tandem uh, how the the vision of wit, of wit stayed so true and so much the same. But it's amazing like how much it evolved to really go deep into someone's uh, journey to acknowledge that how we are raised uh, to bring it, you know, bring in someone's backstory, how that is so integral to understanding their present life. Yeah. I think it was just really smart to start developing it more that way so we could understand how they got here. It helps with empathy. Yes, I was just thinking that. And then also, I think a lot of people are like, why? Why would you do that? And then you you hear about their dad or whatever, like, like oh, oh. oh. yeah. <laughs> it was so cool sort of hearing the growth and maturity in Amanda's voice and her life. Like now she sounds like a seasoned middle-aged woman who's like been through some stuff and she just speaks with more confidence uh-huh. and she 
has this benefit of age and maturity and perspective where she can look back and really understand it as it was. Yeah. T, what stuck out to you as the heart of Amanda's story? Yes, I I came up with a one-word heart today, and I went with consumed. Oh, God. And, of course, there's Bryce lighting himself on fire, right? Consumed by fire. Um, He is also consumed by depression, uh, grief, paranoia, right? Um, and then I was thinking about consumed, like, um, when we're learning about her parents, grandparents, great grandparents, and even his family as well, um, how they're kind of consumed by their own depression and grief, Mm. um, and instead of, you know, ending things with that they continue to kind of feed the fire mm. and that it can it kind of it's like a fuse and it just continues to um consume into the next generation it's like that yeah it's like that energy sucks everything in with it mm-hmm. like the way fire sucks in oxygen yes. in a room yeah this was to me a very strong metaphor at least is the fire yeah um and then finally, how Amanda is kind of, she's extinguishing it. Mm. Um, but hopefully she's kind of building her own, kind of sparking, you know, another flame that's more about, you know, building community around mm. death and um, spirituality and... um. So I'm hoping that's what continues on as generations go on. Yeah. So consumed was... Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I see that. That's Mm -hmm. good, T. I also had one word. Oh. My word is caretaker. (laughs) I mean, obviously, Amanda, our storyteller, is one. She's been so all her life in healthy and unhealthy ways. Um, But then I think about her parents and slash parents in general, all parents. Parents are morally and legally required to take care of their children. But then I thought I expanded it more to this idea that we are all caretakers, when our society has all of these systems that are broken that cause us harm it does force someone else to act to take care of the harm that those systems have caused and you you know and it was predominant in her story and we see it everywhere alcoholism abuse neglect depression anxiety and these are all brought on by flawed systems and when they cause a harm they cause a harm and in the presence of a harm there must be care and i would say that because humans even though we're born 
already trending toward death and decay naturally, we are very good at aiding further in its devastation and misery. And there will never not be a need for a caretaker. So most of us are caretakers. We are all lined up to take a load. And I know that's scary. A lot of us that are of a certain age are already facing that with our parents. A lot of Gen Xers and millennials are having to deal with taking care of their own parents, especially in with systems broken, where yeah. it is really hard to pay someone to do that. Not you know that's a, a really high level privilege thing to be able to pay a facility to take care of someone. Sad, but it's coming for us all. It's a dark way to end it. I feel like. Well, okay, okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Going back to Amanda. <laughs> That is why the Amandas of the world are in such dire need. The work that she does is so important. I have such a humble respect for people that do hospice work. Uh-huh. You know, hosp- my dad was in hospice his last day. And those people, what they do is just so beautiful and and in, and she's right. I mean, everything she's saying is right. Culturally, we do not embrace death. We don't talk about de- death. Death is always the side thing that we can't face or acknowledge. And it is coming for us all. And that she gets to do that work and be with those people and take care of people in their last moments. And as she puts it, give them a beautiful experience in their passing. That's really, that's really lovely, wonderful. We need more, more people like her. That's positive. No, that is positive. That's a that's a good one. I'm also thinking about you know as you were saying like taking caretaker taking care of others, but also I think how we take care of ourselves. Ugh, duh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, but yeah, like how how all the people in Amanda's life take took care of themselves however which way they thought was best you know for their mental health right that's the thing we're we all are harmed we all are hurting and some of us react to that by trying to do take healthy measures to heal ourselves or to care for ourselves but a lot of us try to take care of ourselves through through unhealthy means Hence, that's why alcoholism is so prevalent. I mean, that uh, we could do myriad ep- episodes about alcoholism. It's such an accepted form of self-destruction in, in our society, right? So it's not surprising that it shows up in, in probably 90% of our stories. We don't see it. I mean, people that are able to just drink socially, you know, that is just a social construct for them a way to like lube up the conversation skills, but people that heavily depend on depend on it and their bodies have become dependent on it, they, believe it or not, that's why it is self-medicating. They are uh-huh. trying to take care of the harm that's been inflicted on them. They don't know it. It's not conscious, but that is what's happening. It's a way almost to, to push down the... Yeah things that they're trying to forget yeah but it's just adding more problems to the pile yeah 
And you think about like her mom being abused and she'd never revealed that. Talking about winter uh, um, and not ever talking about that. Thinking uh, that that's a way that if you just ignore it, avoid it, don't talk about it, it'll go talk about away. It. But it comes up a lot. We still are living amongst generations that believe that. Uh-huh. Like, yes. it's not like these are old. These people still walk among us. Yes. We were raised with these ideas. Oh, yeah. Put it, put I it down. I believed that for a long time. Yeah. I was like, oh, you just avoid it and it disappears. Yeah, just don't talk about it. Push it down. People don't want to hear about that. We're not talking about that. We don't, we don't That's want inappropriate, to say, isn't we it? We don't want you to can't. say that about our family. No. We don't want people to know our business. No, that's 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 for us. Everything's to fine. Well, let's also yeah. not talk about it within ourselves. Yeah, we're not going to talk about it the family either. Yeah. Just don't talk about it at Some all. things are too hard to say. And, and it's wild to think it. Like, just open your mouth and say it. But if you've ever carried around a secret, you know that sometimes... Things are just too hard to say. And we've had so many generations live and die by that credo. And I think now, thank God, it's probably been more prevalent in the generation even in beyond us, uh, after us. But it's it's spilled over to all of us <laughs> that are paying attention and and really want to try to evolve and change and grow as much as much as we can and heal as much as we can like the but these but these ideas to talk about everything so much and be so out in the open with, with things so much and and try to attempt to break these cycles of generational trauma these are all relatively new ideas so there's hope i think there's some hope out there okay let's talk about this quote the desire to be seen, but the inability ah. to be intimate. Yes. End quote. What does that mean? Yeah. I also wrote that down. Any thoughts? So it's hard to be vulnerable, right? You're putting yourself out there. It's weird because you want to be seen. You want people to understand you, right? Understand where yeah. you come from. Like for, with these these podcasts with these episodes like that's why you you add in this backstory you want people to understand why you made certain decisions later in life or why these things ha- happen or their patterns yeah. in life so you want people to understand you but you don't necessarily want to share all the things that may yeah. have been hurtful to you in the beginning of your life for example the mom her mom so late in life revealed about being sexually abused as a child. Yeah. But this whole time, she's just not going to like hide out forever. She wants to build connections. She wants to be seen, but she doesn't want to reveal those things. It's a weird bound. It's almost like if you don't reveal those things, you won't be able to be understood as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I look at it like a connection Mm -hmm. like we want to be uh feel like we're interconnected as like a human we're part of this vast network um and and you can yeah that is being seen or seeing others or 
or being in, in these traditional nuclear families, you know, most people enter these without thinking much about them, but it is just a way that we get to connect our humanity to other humans. But to do the work of true intimacy, to have hu- true intimacy, that's that's really difficult work. <laughs> that's really being open, really being vulnerable. And probably most people aren't willing to do that kind of work. Yeah. Like surface surface human level connection is enough. It gets them through. It makes them feel apart. Makes them feel connected, makes them feel seen. But to really truly be in the depths with someone, that's tough. that's tough. That's hard. And and it, for it to be really meaningful, it has to be reciprocal. So as much uh-huh. as you give, you take. And that can be too much for people. Yeah. Human relationships are really fucking hard. Can't believe we do them. I know. It's almost, there's almost like a, a selfishness to it. Mm. I want to be seen, but I'm not going to share any parts of me so that we actually connect. You have to just understand me or allow yeah. me to act the way I act. Trust me. Trust I'm a it. human. And I'm kind of going to be an asshole to you, let's say. And you're going to take yeah. it because, and you don't understand why, but yeah. you're going to take it because I'm your mom. Yeah. And you're going to do it. So, yeah. Let's talk about um, like a first major turning point, I think, for Amanda was Liz, the stepmom. <laughs> Seems like she came in and saved them all. And she feel, it feels like she could play a role like in a Hallmark Christmas movie, like extra gracious, even mothering the mother, <laughs> you know, fill this gap in the family system. It, this central figure for Amanda probably helped save her. Attach her attachment issues in a lot of way. Maybe could have been a lot worse if Liz hadn't come in, and and shown her what being a, a good mom, a, a solid mom, was like. Yeah, totally. I think it would have been awful um, to not have Liz in their life. It sounds like with the with her sisters, like just choosing to live over there too. Like, this is my way of keeping myself healthy. And then thinking about how when her mom remarried. Quit marrying, remarrying assholes that are white-knuckling sobriety. Oh, I know. And have rage issues. Well, quit remarrying just to remarry. Right. Quit remarrying just to not be alone. Yeah. Yeah. Quit, like, like, love yourself. Yeah. Do we say this every episode? It's like they don't get it. <laughs> so this it, this insecure attachment is is shown in her relationship. She's always drawn to the guy who's not really sure that they like her, which I this I felt seen in this whole bit. You know, she's always drawn to the project. And I, another big turning point in her life was just to meet a a person at was it a, at a funeral? I don't remember exactly. Or was it a wedding? No, I think it was a funeral where she met the a boyfriend's aunt that offered her a job oh. in, at Stanford. And yeah. now she just gets to live in San Francisco for her 20s. And then she can just like party. You know, guys, you know, this people say like, this is my year of yes. I'm saying yes to everything. 
I think we should all set boundaries for ourselves. But it, you never know who you're going to meet, who you're going to run into, what kind of relationship you will make that will spawn other opportunities that you never could have ever conceived of or found in a conventional way. I think we need to stop saying that everything is merit-based. Everything is merit-based in this job and economy. Like, so many jobs are based on who you know. And I don't know who needs to hear this right now, but just go say yes. Be be a personality hire. That's a real thing, you guys. I think I'm a personality hire. I also believe it or not, I know I'm an asshole. The listeners are nodding right now. That knows everything and has done everything. But like, oh yeah, now it makes sense. Your personality. So many jobs I get to, and I'm like, okay, so now what? What do I do? What's that? How do I do that? And I kind of like black out when someone shows me, and then I just. (laughs) I keep asking them next time. I'm like, hey. And I'm like, hey, you want to go get coffee? And they're like, yeah, Elliot's awesome. No, that's what um, I'm like. That's when I'm like, hey, just so everyone knows. I know. But just so everyone knows, could you tell us how to do that? Yeah. Um, you explain it well. I know how. 100%. But just be open. Like, I know that we hate to acknowledge it, but so many things are based on who you know, what you're like to be around. People can learn anything. But to have someone be charming and interesting and funny and kind, like these are qualities that I cannot Huge. Uh, underestimate. Like make relationships, build relationships, make friends. You never know where these kind of things will lead you. And it led Amanda to freaking Stanford, freaking the best place in the country, uh-huh. Bay Area, California. And she got to spend her time partying her balls off in San Francisco in her 20s. T and I got to party our balls off in Oakland in our 30s. I don't know what you were doing in your 20s, T. I was doing that, too. Yeah. And it was awesome. It was awesome. Let's switch gears a little bit. I did like, um, I was writing this down. This is like you were giving some career advice. I like that. Thank you. That's good. Things I've learned being a fuck up with a college degree that's non-usable and is in freelance. So I get bounced around a lot. I've found I've found these things out the hard way. You guys just heard it. I just told you flat out. Whit and I were friends. That's how I got the job uh-huh. and this is actually happening. That's what I'm saying. That's why the listeners are nodding right now. Like, yeah, they're like, who it. gave this bitch a job? <laughs> it's like, oh, T. <laughs> He's friends oh, with Allie. That's how she oh, got it's this. it's all who you know. It's not about it's not their fully merit knowledge or intellect or, or education. Or education or training or skills. I don't know how to use Google Slides. T, remember that it's time like you tried hard. to help me edit a PDF file? Oh, tell, them, tell them how I can't do it. You're awful at that. See? Oh, my God. The way you don't, the way you use Excel is like the most frustrating thing I've ever seen. What do you mean use Excel? That's not happening. When has that happened? Or was it Google Sheets? You, yeah, I won Excel. There were just numbers and boxes that you added yourself. 
<laughs> it was like 274 plus, you know, 126. And then you didn't like add them through a formula. You're just like underneath you use a calculator and then you're like 400. And I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> they're like, this is how much this person owes. Like it was so manual. So anyway, if that's a good example of how Ellie doesn't know how to do stuff. Anyways, let's talk about Vipassana. Yeah, Vipassana. What's interesting about this Vipassana meditation is she sort of discovers this through through Bryce attending it, is that if you are mentally ill or suicidal, it can be a really negative experience for you. Um, and this definitely reminded me of the episode that we did with Ayahuasca Husband. Yes, same, right? same. Uh, who knew that ayahuasca just wasn't this carte blanche fix mm -hmm. it for everyone that a narcissist that would do it it could really screw up their their brains insides but it sounds like with this vipassana if you are mentally ill or haven't done the deep work before you get to a meditation retreat like that it can really fuck you up i just want to read a little bit for people that don't know what vipassana is it means to see things as they really are. And it's one of India's most ancient techniques Techniques of meditation. It was taught in India more than 2,500 years ago as a universal remedy for universal ills, i.e. an art of living. So people take courses or they sit in Vipassana meditation retreats for days and it can get really deep into to some dark shit so if you're not uncovering it or you're unhealed or you're in the throes of psychosis or you're unwell and need therapy like this is not something for you so for him to throw himself into something like this was definitely not a good idea yeah i thought that was really revealing and i feel like this is really good information to know i feel like i learned something in this segment yeah, now I'm definitely not doing it. Yeah, I'm not ready for that. And the same with ayahuasca. Let's talk about, let's shift it a little bit. Bryce blames her for selling the house. Now, let's do the mental gymnastics that Bryce did uh -huh. to be able to blame her. Okay? Let's try it. We're just going to, we're trying to do, okay, yeah. we're trying to get in the, yeah. we're not speaking ill of the dead. I just, I'm, I want to understand she was just saying she kind of just helped out a little bit here and there yeah and then he says that he's ready to sell it and she's it from what she says it's like she's like okay and so she helps him get it ready to sell it doesn't sound like she's actively telling him it's a bad idea she doesn't really say but it sounds like she was kind of a neutral party but she wasn't a heavy influence in the decision making right. i mean i think she put like a you know a plant there or whatever, you know? Yeah, how it was ultimately I it. his decision. Yeah. In their argument, how do how does he say it's her... How does he get to the conclusion that it's her fault? Is, is this stupid to even probe because he wasn't in his right mind? But he must have had some sort of argument because she did... She does take sort of take on board what he's saying to her. Well, that's, I think, part of her issues, too, is that people-pleasing part and yeah, really, like, accepting possibly what that 
what he was blaming her for. I mean, it just, it also brought me back to her great grandfather's suicide and then that her grandfather left their family. Like, let, they blame, those two blamed their, mm. there's a lot of blaming. It's, it, yeah. it was like, not, it wasn't them. It's not because of me that I'm leaving the family or committing suicide. It's actually because of you. Um, yeah. I think. Is there a mental illness name for that? Blaming? Is that just like I mean, general project, mentally ill? I'm, is it projecting maybe? I don't know. I'm not a. Shrink. Yeah, I'm not a shrink, so I don't know. But maybe it's connected to that when we were talking about earlier, desire to be seen, inability to be intimate. Mm. Um, can't be vulnerable enough to be like, I made a mistake. Mm. Mm. You know? Okay, now we're getting somewhere. He was probably saying, why didn't you stop me? Yeah. Why could you let me do this? Why would you let me go through with this? You know Especially that this she... isn't, you know, good enough yet or whatever. You know, Right, which he's sort of talking to himself. But sh- keep in mind now, she's kind of become a bit of a savior for him at this point. Like, she's always uh-huh. stepping in with, uh, you should go to the do, do the yoga, da-da-da-da-da. She's always like a solution queen to him. So the fact that she hasn't stepped in and stopped him and saved him from himself and making this bad financial decision, it's her lack of stopping him that makes it her fault. Interesting. Yeah, you've saved me from so many things. Why'd you just save me? Why didn't you? Why didn't you save yeah. me from this? Yeah. It was a huge mistake. Or what about when, you know, he looks at her like she's funky for bringing up the winter business part and then gives her this verbal lashing for bringing it up. It's so, she brings up, I mean, the point, it's a huge thing. They're calling it winter business park. Right. It's named after him. Is it named after the baby or is it named after the season it's named after the baby the, you're this is again right she knows what you're it's saying. out this is wanting to be seen but not wanting to be intimate yeah this is the I, same exact talk about yeah seen i mean it's a That's huge it exactly. when it's called winter but Play we're not going to talk about why and and now that we're and actually while we're talking about this, I think that story was so fucking sad. And it sounds like his body and person and mind was also involved in that accident. And it sounds like I guarantee you he probably suffered P- his own PTSD from that accident. And it's possible even that he had some sort of traumatic brain injury if he was thrown from a moving vehicle. To witness that, to see a newborn baby being destroyed in that way, to see your mother beside herself in grief in that way, and then to be injured yourself, and then to never talk about it. You can't tell me that this wasn't a major defining moment of his life and didn't directly contribute somehow to his depression and suicidal ideation all through his adolescence into high school and beyond. It has to be. A thousand percent it did. He's learning not to talk about it when there's pain and trauma. Yeah. You saw the Google searches. You saw, you know, 
all the things that she found after the fact, he was hiding the fact that he was thinking about this. He wasn't sharing it with anybody. His family. They probably her. had. Yeah, he'd felt that for decades. That's a learned thing. Even though it doesn't work, that's what we do. And it's like that to be, you know, wanting to be seen and not intimate. That huge business park is honoring winter, right? Yeah. It's honoring the baby, but then it's not. Don't talk about it. Acknowledging the incident itself or the effects that came up after the fact. Absolutely. Oof. Well said, Amanda. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Okay. You know, so Amanda's getting to this point where she she can see the difference, and I thought this was also brilliant, what she said. She can see the difference between, between being a lone, empowered Amanda and lonely child abandoned Amanda. These are two indifferent, two different types of alone. Alone and lonely are two different things. He's the difference. She's feeling anxious. She's not feeling supported or cared for in this relationship. And this is another big turning point for her. And again, this is another time that our friends are so important. When they say, Amanda... It's time to get off this train. Okay. Just hug your friends that tell you the truth, y'all. And that was a bit a big turning point for her because she knew that she, as she says, she can't be his lifeline anymore. And she did it because she loved him. You know, she goes through all of this all and on and, and learns about these recovery things. And she says she has to take contrary actions to stop the insanity. Well, her... She really is a person that does the work, man. Like, I feel like you just hand her a self-help book and oh, she yeah. sees some truth in it. She's going to... She's going to pull like, it out and then tell them all work. Yeah. Because it's, it's hard. It's not easy. It's hard to love yourself and to love someone else and not be with them because your immediate want is to take him back. It's hard to say no to that. Most people aren't able to do that. Shout out to you, Amanda. Yeah. Man. It's hard. I love that too, contrary actions. Yeah. People always say insanity is when you do the same thing over and over and over again, the same way, expecting different results. So that is exactly what that is, contrary action. Do the opposite. It is stopping the insanity. Yeah. But it hurts. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about a suicide in Palo Alto. January 25th, 2007. I did look up an article in the Mercury News. Research alert. I feel like in, in the original episode, episode one, she talks about how the fire spread or it was, didn't it sound like, I took away that it was sort of a neighbor, it became like a neighborhoody fire. Did you get that? Or maybe I misheard that. I don't recall now mixing them up a little. She, it made it sound like she, it spread to other houses. So I wanted to see the news of the day just to see exactly what happened. It says a man died. This is from the Mercury News, uh, dated July 26, 2007. A man died Thursday in what appears to have been a suicide after a shed caught fire in Palo Alto. 
A note was found in the group home near the wooden shed where the fire occurred, leading police to believe the fire was set intentionally. Firefighters responded to the call of the burning shed at da-da-da, and the fire was under control within four minutes. The man in the shed had not been identified, but he was a resident of blah-da-da, a facility that treats people with mental illnesses. Um, wow. It, that per, uh, the CEO of that company said the home was briefly evacuated, but the residents were able to go back later that night. So no one else was hurt. No one else was displaced. If anyone else was confused by what was said in the first episode, which apparently I was, um, but it did. It only did take his life. Self-immolation. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I hadn't heard that term before. Oof. You know when you talk about, you know how you might die. Yeah. An easy way you might go for, you know. Um, this is definitely one you feel like you'd be suffering in a lot of pain the entire time until you eventually die. It's almost like a torturous way of going. It's like yeah. punishing yourself. Yeah. There are other ways to do it that may have been easier <clears throat> but he wasn't in his right mind. No, he wasn't in his right mind. But when you think about doing something like that, a lot of times you, you maybe you don't want to feel the pain of it. Or you want to feel as much pain as you can. If you feel it physically, you're not feeling it mentally anymore. It's it's like maybe akin to, it's like extreme akin to cutting or something. Or people that have excessive tattoos because they want to, feel the pain physically more than emotionally and and usually in self-immolation immolation not that i know much about it it's sort of it feels like protesty uh -huh. like it's a symbol yeah it's so dramatic it's so extreme it's yeah. so visual even though he did it in in a shed so it was it wasn't like he did it in the middle of a, a street. What about, um, she mentioned this on in both the first one and the 300th one. She mentions calling him and thinking it was probably while he was doing it. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I thought including that was important to her. Mm. Any insight there? Do you think she's somehow saying that her phone call sp sparked it? Not to use, sorry, to use the fire. Right, room. no, but I, it's good. But I don't... Inspi it was inspired because of her phone call? I don't know. That, that she heard, he heard it and was so... Well, or that she could, if she was like two minutes earlier, she could have stopped it. She could have stopped it. She couldn't, though. Well, yeah. I, But she it, it seemed important for some reason that she made yeah. that. And I just wanted to know what the significance was to her for saying it. Because it's a little bit of a detail. Yeah, as I don't going. know. Again, I, I really respect people that work in hospice and have a relationship with death and can share that with other people. And I really think it's fascinating that at the end of the life, you know, at, at the end of life, she finds out it's really revealed to her that early childhood is so important and people want to tell you about what they didn't get and that that trauma we carry around with expresses itself later in disease, dementia, heartache. 
you know, to have an 80-year-old woman admit to sexual abuse as a child, to know that she's carried that around with her for so long, it's so heartbreaking. It's a powerful role to play and to have these stories come just to you at times. Yeah. I wonder how you might hold those and have those stories within yourself, by yourself. It it goes to show how uh, revealing, how real, how it's the absolute mo- realest moment in your life is when you're facing down death. And all of a sudden, everything probably becomes very clear. And when you look back on your life, you're probably doing a stock take and you can't help but look at the thing that you feel like informed you the most. You know, I have in my mind things that I'll probably think about on my deathbed that have informed my life the most and have always been with me and I can never get rid of. And I think it's just so sad that we carry these inner secrets and demons and heartaches around with us. And never talk about them. But but what Amanda's doing... Sorry, I keep going dark. What Amanda's doing is amazing. And she she talks about how she talks about death and dying with her nine-year-old kid a lot. I wanted to ask you what you thought about that. Yeah, it got me thinking. Our kids are still six, four, and four, but I don't know what that would look like or be like. I remember when I was a kid... And if I think about, like, my own mom dying, it would take me on the worst, yeah, it's the worst thing I could ever think of, the worst fear I had. Crying yourself to sleep, yeah. I used to do the same. I'll tell you when they're nine. (laughs) Okay. How that works now. Because there's nothing like that, even or nothing close to that yet. We didn't even tell them, like, one of the fish died. We just got another one. Well, death is part of life. It is. We got to figure out also what we think about what happens after death. We don't have a strong point of view yet. I don't think that that's important. Okay, so the, you have a strong point of view. That's you know. Who gives a fuck? And that's yeah. I mean, we've gone through the whole gamut of what if it doesn't matter and how much it matters, and yeah. all the way to like. And I don't. We don't want to hit religion. It's just natural law. Religion has nothing to do with it. Your body just ends. No, yeah, we can go to science. Yeah. Yeah. So we haven't revealed any of that quite yet, but we know we will have to. And I really wanted to know more about her marriage. I assume it's doing well, but I felt like that was kind of a cliffhanger at the end of the episode one. I really wanted her to talk more about uh-huh. how it's going with Wolf. Okay, thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Trauma Bonded. You can find our show, our podcast, or kept. If you like us, please rate and review us on Apple or other places or reach out on Instagram. Thanks to Amanda for sharing their story on this special 300th episode. And it's the first time we've re-interviewed a storyteller. Thank you, Amanda, for giving us the opportunity to talk about it. Thanks to the This Is Actually Happening team, including Whit, Mistledine, and Andrew Waits, and the maker of our music and website, Nathaniel Francesco Tromboli. Thanks to Kathy Seitz, you badass bitch, you, for editing this episode, and to Katie Capel, my lovely sister, for building those blasted Instagram posts. You can contact us at traumabondedpod at gmail.com and find us at Instagram 
whatever at Trauma Bonded Pod Official or visit our website at traumabondedpod.com. And you guys, sorry, we promised another storyteller follow-up this December. Sorry, we dropped the ball for November. November went so fast, did right? Did it go like, fast? Did November it's so go? fast. So fast. And we will do another bonus comments episode in December as well. I've got December off, y'all, so you're going to be getting content. Time keeps on ticking, but the content you shall have. We are trauma bonded to the story, to the storyteller, to the listeners, and to each other. Thank you for spending time with us today. Sorry we were late. We love you much. Love you, T. Love you, Allie. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.